0: listening to the Apollo Podcast Network. One.
1: Win championships,
2: you've got to have a championship organization.
3: Rexha, what a pass to Anders. A king followed. To ranch fire, she converts. Rhymes again. And it's really Pull up three in transition for Angela Harris.
1: Giroux says, Not tonight, not in Houston. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Pod Slamma Jamma, presented by Apollo Houston, All Houston, All Original. I am one of your hosts, Justin Barbosa, and you can find me on Twitter at jbarbosa underscore 95.
2: And I'm your second host, Greg Goods, and you can find me on Twitter at Gregg And be sure to follow the, the official Apollo Media account at Apollo HOU, as well as hitting the subscribe button on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your podcast. We would greatly appreciate it.
1: And on today's episode, we got Dustin Rensink and Sam Rosenfoss, hosts of the Scott and Holman podcast, as a lot of Cougar fans know. How are y'all guys doing today?
3: Hey, doing pretty good. Uh, excited to be talking to you guys. Uh, thanks for having us on.
0: Yeah, doing great, guys. Thanks a bunch.
1: Absolutely. Uh, been following y'all since the Tony Levine days. Always love y'all's content and y'all's podcast. Uh, glad to have y'all on. Yeah. So guys, uh, tell me about y'all's, uh, journey as Kook fans. And, uh, that led to the, the start of the Scott and Holman podcast.
3: Yeah, I think this goes all the way back to, uh, probably 10 or so years ago when we were both doing a, uh, like student blog for the Houston Chronicle. And, uh, we both kind of like found each other and then we ended up doing a, a blog together. That was the Scott and Holman, uh, blog and then took a, a pause from that. And then after, uh, after, about six years ago now, Sam was just like, Hey, I think, uh, I think we want to get back into this with the podcast. No one is doing a U of H podcast right now. We could do it. We can't do a worse job than nothing. So, uh, which we
0: tested, we tested that. We
3: tried, we tried, we, we, we had some pretty bad episodes that might've not been a whole lot better than nothing. Um, but, uh, you know, we have little by little kind of, uh, started to figure some things out and, uh, just excited to have, you know, I mean, our whole goal is, you know, with the blogging or the podcasting thing is always just trying to be, you know, get more people involved in U of H athletics, get more people caring about U of H athletics. And so that's been uh, the coolest thing for us is just, you know, hearing people say that, Oh, I've been listening. And oh, it just helps me follow the school better and stuff like that. That's, that's always the, uh, the most exciting thing to hear. Cause that's, you know, as U of H is obviously, as you know, you know, a school that has historically had some trouble with the fan support, and I think is really starting to come into its own area to uh, be a small part of that and try to get people pumped up for cougar
0: i think the only thing that i would add is that i think we've also we've been fortunate somewhat for the era that we decided to do this in. like i, I always wonder if dustin and i had decided to do a podcast in like 2012 uh whether or not the 2012 2013 athletic season would have just broken us and just be like no nah, i think we're good i, I think we uh i, I think we aren't in, you know needing to do this anymore i think we've gotten very fortunate in that you had the peach Bowl season right after we started doing the show. You know, we've obviously had this great run from Cougar basketball and just a number of other sports who have, who have done really exciting stuff or are in kind of, you know, their best recent era. So I think it's, it's been very fortunate. I think that we've, you know, just started doing this in the era that we did. I, I think, I think obviously we've gotten better at, but I think the content has, uh, the content has made it uh, pretty easy to talk about at times, even even when the on-field wins aren't coming. It's never really boring, I think, to be a U of H fan. That I think has helped us out here as we've kind of gotten our feet under us the last five or six years.
1: Yeah, and it definitely as Cougar fans, we all definitely know the highs and lows. And probably one of my favorite articles from y'all is probably like the the top games in UH football history and like the worst games y'all have seen in the UH football history.
0: Yeah, yeah, there's 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 competition for that. There's uh, there's just uh, there's there's the highs, there's the lows, there's, yeah. I think it was it was the 2020 games going into 2020 or something. It was 19 games going into 2019 or something like that. And um, yeah, just a lot's happened. A lot's happened this century and just like the last five or six years, especially.
1: Yeah, so guys, tell me what have been like the highest of highs and the lowest of lows uh, following the
0: basketball program? I think we should, can we start with the lowest of the lows, Dustin? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Dustin just dropped off, so I can see. So the lowest of the lows, uh, my co-host whose uh, connection just dropped out here. Um, back in, it was early 2013, a uh, much younger man, not nearly making as, as much as I am, certainly not professionally established. Um, I took a night off work when a night off work meant like a decent loss of money for me to uh, watch U of H and Rice play at Tudor Fieldhouse, And this was a year where Rice ended up winning, I think four or five games total. And uh, you probably know where I'm going with this. One of those four or five games was a uh, nine to 10 point win over James Dickey era U of H. And I just remember the two of us leaving Rice's arena and thinking this has to be the low point. Rice hasn't won a single conference USA game this season. And I think the high for me, and this isn't a takeaway from the final four season because this season was incredible. I, I think it, it may be the best U of H sports season in my lifetime, but for me personally to answer that, I would say the high point for me was uh, being in Wichita in 2018 and seeing Rob Gray uh, lay it in against San Diego state to get uh, our first tournament win. And I want to say at the time that was 35 years. I think that, I think, the Rob gray last second layup to uh, beat San Diego state was, I think our first, first post five slamma jamma, um, NCAA tournament win. And for me, just the high of seeing 34 years of, you know, failure 34 years of not being able to get to the tournament kind of erased in one layup. I mean, I was also there two days later uh, when a certain player in Michigan heaved a certain half court shot that uh, ended our season <laughs> And, and don't get me wrong, that was, uh, that was like being punched in the stomach. But I think there was still some of the high for me of just seeing Cougar basketball get to the NCAA tournament and get to the NCAA tournament as a good at-large team and seeing us win a game. And as painful as the specific way we lost to Michigan was, that we were a half-court heave from going to the second weekend of March Madness, to me would have been inconceivable three or four years – before then, just because of what our basketball program was for so long.
1: And that game against Mich- Michigan, as much as a gut punch it was, that Michigan team went all the way to the championship game and lost to uh, Villanova. But that really showed what was to come for this Cougar program. And uh, that 2018 was really the the doorbreakers for the Cougars because they finally got into the tournament and really groundbreaking guys with Rob Gray, Wes Van Beck, Monty Brooks, Davis, Brian Brady, all those guys.
0: Yep. Yeah, it's just like we've had better teams since then. I would I would argue I would say maybe uh, the 2019-2020 team was probably about give or take roughly even with the 2017-2018 team, but the year after and of course this past season were better teams no matter how you slice it. But it's just there was something significant to that team playing the entire season. Uh, away from the University of Houston I know TSU is just down the street but to play an entire season without any true home games it's not something a lot of programs do year in year out and to do that have a good season and you know have the first NCAA at large caliber team in in decades it's it's incredible and just that that team will always be very special to me I mean I think the only thing that could top that 2017-2018 team to me I mean it's great as the final fours this is not me trying to diminish the final four, because that's, you know, one of those U of H things I'm going to remember until uh, the day I die, but to, you know, kick down the door and to truly, you know, complete the culture change. Cause it's, there's a mental block. I mean, before that team went to the NCAA tournament, I don't think most of those guys were alive the last time U of H had like an at large caliber team. So, you know, that's, that's a lot. That's a, that's, Something uh, Samson talks a lot about, guys like Rob Gray, Corey Davis, Breon Brady, Armani Brooks, they bought in when U of H being a nationally relevant basketball program was a nice idea rather than now where it's the reality. I mean, obviously, you know, take, take whatever you can get, but you know, a lot of the guys on the team now join this program when we had the nice arena coming off a of tournament season, all that jazz. And yeah, that, that, that team, yeah, the, the table setters, I guess, if you will. And even the two teams before that, even though they only went to the NIT, you know, it's, it's worth noting that, and this was something I noticed at the time, those were the two best Ken Palm seasons U of H basketball had had in the 21st century, even before we went to the NCAA tournament. So it was very obvious Kelvin Sampson was building something here. And obviously it was gone from being, you know, a cool story, a team that was a buzzer beater away from, um, you know, going to the second weekend of March to, a program now that's, you know, national top 25 coming off a final four appearance, just got a four-star top hundred guy to commit all that stuff.
1: Yeah, definitely one of my favorite memories from that 2018 season at TSU was uh, beating number five ranked Cincinnati and everybody storming the court. That was just an
0: awesome moment. It was, I, uh, I, 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 that was the last time, I think it would be the last time I'll ever really do it. The last time I stormed the court for a win was, I think that Cincinnati game. I, I remember I also uh, parked in a no park, parking uh, area and got towed from TSU oh. right afterwards. I remember, I remember <laughs> though, the, I was just so euphoric that I was just like, wow, well I guess I better look up where our car is. And I called, I think, yeah, cause Dustin had driven out too. And he ended up picking me up. We got dinner and picked up the car, but yeah, just, we finally got an atmosphere at TSU, you know, we, and that kind of also felt like it kicked down the door. You know kind of game and you, you didn't get your best from rob gray you really it really wasn't a beautiful offensive performance kind of game but you know they had to they had to kind of ugly it up they had to you know deal with a cincinnati team that was a real a real tough bunch of guys you, you didn't just have jaron cumberland and his offensive skill but you know gary clark who's managed to stick around the nba kyle washington who was a good college player i think he's now back on cincinnati's a uh, coaching staff that was a really good team that was as good as any Cincinnati team I think we've seen in the last eight or nine years and you know that also kind of felt like a you know breakthrough moment because Cincinnati was just a team that we could not consistently beat even even when Samson had a couple decent teams a year prior it was just clear Cincinnati was a cut above and to to beat them to in essence with that game basically clinch U of H's at large you know tournament uh, hopes there and to just I think really give the fan base. So I think it already, by then Cougar fans were starting to realize like, Hey, this team is special. This team is better than all the previous teams. But I think that was, that was proof positive. This was, this was a real special group of guys.
2: What, what do you think of the new acquisitions of Kyler Edwards, Taze Moore, and Josh Carlton? I
0: thought they're, they're really, um, I thought they were really on paper, good ads. I think obviously everything we're talking about here is theoretical until we see, you know, Edwards, Moore, and Carlton, suit up but I think I think there's really uh, strong positives from all three guys I'll start with with Edwards you're not really asking Edwards to be Quentin Grimes but I think I think you could ask Kyler Edwards to do a lot of the things that Quentin Grimes did on this year's team and maybe ask a bit more of the supporting cast around him I think Kyler Edwards two seasons ago you really started to see him come into his own offensively and then when they brought in Mac McClung Tech did last year you could you could tell kyler edwards never really meshed totally with what mac mcclung did with tech i mean mac mcclung was a pretty good college player so you can't really blame tech for bringing him in but just didn't seem to work with those two guys i remember edwards had a particularly bad game uh, against the cougs up in fort worth but you know a guy who's a good shooter a guy who i think will be better cast with what kelvin Sampson wants to do uh, as opposed to you know what tech did last year but i think maybe the best endorsement for Edwards being a good culture fit here is that I can't think of too many more similar programs to the Cougs than, uh, than what Texas tech was doing a, a program uh, under Chris Beard, where, you know, you couldn't get on the court without playing tough defense. You couldn't get on the court, you know, without really caring about that end of the floor. And so, you know, I think what Kelvin Samson asks of his guys and, and what Chris Beard asked of his guys is very similar. I think that's going to be a good fit with, uh, with Taze Moore, the thing that uh, really stuck out to me is just every single person who's, who's watched Cal state Bakersfield a little bit, you know, just saw the move and just to Houston said, Oh, this guy is a Kelvin Sampson player. This guy kind of the same way. Like he's not going to be Dejan Giroux. I think, I do think he does some things better than what uh, Dejan Giroux did offensively, but he's just, he's not that kind of player to the, I guess compare those two, I think is to, uh, set unrealistic expectations for what Moore's going to do here, but a guy who's going to really just be a tough matchup, even for bigger guards, a guy who you could stick on the, you know, six, four to six, seven bigger scores that you're inevitably going to see, not just in the tournament, but you know, in, in AAC play, the, you know, the matchup I think of was, uh, when Giroux was asked to, uh, Cover Buddy Beheim, who, you know, I was told before the Sweet 16 game was the uh, greatest player ever to uh, shoot a basketball. Uh, but, but Jerome did, you know, Jerome basically, uh, but Beheim had to wear jero like a jacket the entire game and just couldn't get anything going offensively. Do I think Moore can necessarily do that at a high level? I'm not sure. This is going to be his first time playing in a league better than the Big West, which is probably just off the top of my head 19th, 20th best league in the country, but I think he's a guy definitely capable of taking the tougher defensive matchups. I think he's a guy who's not afraid of, uh, of what Samson and the staff's going to ask guys to do. I think he's going to be a defensive positive. And I think it's not nothing that uh, his college Cal State Bakersfield moved up to a tougher league this past season and more had his best season, obviously big West to AAC is a big of a bit of a jump, but he did just do a bit of a jump from the whack to the big West. And I think was first team all conference. So, And just the experience too, like physically guys are so different at age 23, as opposed to like age 18 or 19. And you Mm -hmm. know, Taze Moore's come six year guy. I think, I think that's valuable there. And I think with Josh Carlton, I just think it's a fit thing. Uh, Obviously you saw when UConn wanted to play a traditional five, Josh Carlton's per 40 stuff was great. He's a very willing rebounder. He gives the Cougars a size that I don't know if we've ever had. I think, I think Chris Harris certainly is the standard in terms of, you know, big men who are defensive erasers. I don't know if uh, Josh Carlton is nearly as springy as Chris Harris was, but he's a willing rebounder. He's a tough defender. And I think just didn't, didn't really fit what UConn wanted to do. UConn wanted to go a bit smaller. UConn wanted to go a bit lighter. And that's, and that's not Josh Carlton. Josh Carlton's a, a big throwback kind of, you know, classic five uh, center. And so I think what U of H will want to do fits him better. U of H, obviously, when he's on the floor, he's going to be the fifth option of five guys offensively. But you can get putbacks with him, you can get offensive boards, and you know, I I really just when when Carlton committed to the Cougs, just like that, he you know, both him and Moore actually were both just like you know, talking up the you know what U of H did you know recently, and it's just so weird to me, kind of as an aside, that it's just like, oh yeah, this is a Final Four program. This is this is a I goes mean, as far as this prestige program that, you know, guys from other programs are like, oh, wow, Houston, Houston wants me to play there. And that's and that's pretty cool, too. But I think obviously with with any kind of transfer, you're going to expect all three of those guys to make an impact. And I think I think my bold prediction is at least two of those guys will be in the starting five come the twenty twenty one season opener.
1: Yeah, I think Kyler Edwards and uh, Josh Carlton can make an immediate impact, uh, place them into the starting lineup have uh, Fabian White start at uh, the power forward position and uh, have Taze Moore come off the bench. And uh, also uh, what I've seen from Taze Moore, he he has crazy athleticism. Like he can fly really high and uh, also shot 50% from three. Yep. I mean, that's a little addition right there with the shooting-wise. But uh, really excited for Edwards and Josh Carlton. And as he said, man, it's been uh, probably the first time in a few years we've actually had like a true big man around 6'11", almost 7 feet, since we've had uh, Fabian White and Chris Harris probably around 6'10", and then this season, Gorham and Reggie Chaney around 6'8". Really a tall guy in the middle with a little bit of athleticism that can bang on the inside.
0: Yeah, the the key with him is, kind of like we saw with Brian Brady a few years ago, is, is foul trouble. It's just being able to stay on the court, being able to defend without fouling. I'm sure he'll get a crash course uh, in that from Samsung company.
2: Coming up, we'll discuss um, the NBA and former UH Cougars and um their thoughts on on the rise of players like Nate Hinton and Amani Brooks right after this.
3: Looking for a better way to rep H Town, be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code launch for 10% off at checkout. ApolloHOU. All Houston, all original.
2: Welcome back. I'm coming into the second segment. There's been a lot a lot of things going on with our former UH Cougars as in Armani Brooks um doing well with the Rockets, Nate Hinton being on the roster for for the for the Dallas Mavericks. Uh what are your thoughts on on the rise of, the, of Armani Brooks and and people like um Nate Hinton as well coming in?
0: Yeah, I think Obviously coming out of high school, Armani wasn't a big recruit. I think he was like number 300 something uh, in the country, but like you saw by his junior year, the guy had a shot. The guy was basically in range once he got just past the half court logo. And I think as soon as, you know, I, I think it was kind of a surprise in real time, but when he decided, yeah, yes, I'm going to stay, you know, stay in the draft, I'm going to um, just start my professional career. Um I think a lot of people were surprised by it and I'll bet I was somewhat surprised by it, but I knew if he, if he could make everything else work, the guy had a shot for the pros. The guy had this, the athleticism too. Uh, if you'll remember Armani Brooks was one of the better rebounders as a guard, you know, c- compared to Nate, Hinton, I guess uh, Nate Hinton was the uh, like the country's best rebounder as a guard, but he was a good rebounder as a guard. He's a willing defender. You, a guy who you saw from his freshman to his junior year at U of H get a lot better. And so, you know, I think you probably saw him, you know, in his couple of years in the G league really get a crash course and everything else of being a professional, but that shot was still there. The guy still had absurd range that guy could still knock down shots and, and teams, you know, kind of realized, you know, oh, this guy might have the athleticism to play professionally. I thought it was a really good sign when he was the Atlanta Hawks very last cut out of training camp uh, his first year after college. And, and, I thought the uh, Rockets were a really ideal situation for him. I, I think partly we won't sugarcoat it here because the Rockets were really bad. Um, so there's, there was no expectation on, him. you know, there wasn't, this wasn't Armani going to a team where, you know, he was going to be expected to be a contributor for a playoff contender. It wasn't a, a team where he was going to sit on the end of the bench and never play. It was going to be, he was going to get NBA reps for a team that's really, you know, playing for 2022 And beyond, but he's gonna get a lot of NBA film, a lot of going up against, you know, the league's best guards. And I thought I thought in his time with the Rockets, I thought he really, even if the Rockets don't consider him part of their long-term picture, he really, I think, I think showed to all the teams out there this is this is a guy capable of being on your bench, if not better, in the future. This is a guy who just like he was in college is still in range uh whenever he gets past the three-point line. And and that's just you know, been proven to be such a valuable skill the last eight, nine years, not just three point shooting, but, you know, being able to shoot from, you know, range that most guys don't have. As for Nate, you know, I, I thought even though it was a different situation with, than Armani Brooks, because Nate is on a team with a lot of established guys, Nate is on a, you know, bona fide playoff team in the Dallas Mavericks. I still, you know, cause I, I think with Nate, it was, it was the shot and his offensive game, that I thought, okay, like that's where he's going to need to develop the most. And But everything else, like the rebounding, the defensive effort, the being in the right position, because that's one of those things I just remember about Nate's two years at U of H is he would just, at a critical point in the game, Nate would either be in the spot to take a three-pointer, he would grab an offensive board, he would take a charge. Nate knew the right place to be at all times, like just basketball instincts off the charts. And it's not a surprise to me that the Mavs consider him a guy, you know, worth looking at long-term. And I hope, you know, I hope in the coming year or two, he gets more of a chance to play meaningful basketball, but that's not to say he's not getting, you know, a valuable experience being on a team with guys like Luca and Tim Hardaway Jr. And someone like Rick Carlisle, who's, you know, shown an ability to, you know, not just create, you know, elite defensive teams, but, you know, an elite offensive team as well. So I, I think, I think it's, it's good for Nate long-term, even if the Mavs uh, don't him long-term. And it's really a great advertisement for U of H because, you know, Nate and Armani, I mean, Nate was a good recruit. Nate was, I think, just outside the t- national top 100. He was U of H's best recruit in a while when he signed with us. But Nate wasn't a guy out of high school who was just like, oh, yeah, in two years this guy is going to be on an NBA roster. He wasn't that kind of blue-chip recruit. And I think it's a great advertisement for U of H that Nate and Armani, two guys out of high school who definitely weren't, a guaranteed, you know, professional kind of guy, you know, to being on NBA rosters, that's a great advertisement. You know, Kelvin Sampson and his staff can point to, you know, those two guys even go back further, Damian Dotson. I mean, Damian Dotson was a pretty decent recruit out of high school in Houston, but, you know, coming to U of A, she was basically coming off, getting off kicked off the team in Oregon. He would, couldn't have been further from the professional ranks and, even though he's, you know, he's had to toil for the Knicks and the Cavs, not exactly, you know, basketball royalty recently. Mm -hmm. Damian Dodson's still in that upper, you know, 0.1% of all basketball players. He's still a guy who's been on an NBA roster most of the last three years. And I think those three guys and whatever uh, Quentin Grimes and Dejan Giroux were able to do professionally. Plus, you know, Rob Gray, just winning the Euro league. A lot of guys have come out of this program with a lot better professional prospects than they came in with. And that, couldn't be better for recruiting other than, you know, facilities and, you know, a coach who develops guys. I mean, that's what recruits look at results guys who go to the league from your program. And that's, you know, that's the kind of program UVH has become. And I don't know if I ever thought oh, we get there, but it's,
2: it's really cool now that we're here. I was, about to, I was just going to add, um, I think. And when it comes, especially when it comes to these past, Four or five years when it comes to shock. I know that a lot of fans, when you first hear that, you know, they're gonna go, you know, test their, you know, test their stock in the NBA draft and and go into the NBA, I know there's there's a lot of, you know, it's 50-50, it's, it's wishy-washy. Some fans are for it, some fans just kind of have head scratches, some people are surprised. Um, but I think these past couple of years with Kelvin Sampson, I think as more people, I just think we weren't ready to accept yeah. that our school was at that point i just yeah. think we're so used to four year guys and i think we're so used to just um you know thinking okay if you if if you get draft if you don't get drafted that equals failure and i think um, they're just proving to you uh, time and time again, um, you're still an NBA prospect, even um, becoming undrafted or, or going through the G league route. Um Everybody's not going to be a Damian Dotson to get drafted. So yep. um, before we even go to the next topic, I always wanted to um, see what your takes on are with uh, Rob Gray and Corey Davis um, since they're playing overseas.
0: Yeah. I think it's been really cool for Rob Gray. I mean, not a bad life. He's got, he gets to live in Monaco and be a professional basketball player. So not so- bad for him, but really like it's it's really cool because next year obviously if an nba opportunity comes up an nba opportunity comes up but next year rob gray and monaco for the first time in that club's history gets to go head to head against the best teams in europe uh real madrid um barcelona both have basketball clubs i know there's at least a couple of the italian clubs um that are really good in basketball. um Luca played for real madrid i was trying to think that um but, yeah, getting a, getting a chance to go against the best of the best, I think giving himself one more NBA opportunity because the NBA scouts are looking at EuroLeague. NBA scouts are seeing that because that is probably the best competition outside of uh, outside of the NBA professionally. So that's good for him. Corey Davis is uh, back. He had to have a leave of absence from uh, from BCM, um, also in, uh, in the Jeep Elite, which is the French League. Uh, so... I think they had they had a head to head not that long after uh, Rob and Monaco won the Euro League and I think uh, Monaco won by a pretty good margin there but yeah just really really cool to see I, I was watching the highlights of the Euro League and it was just like it was it was so fun to watch Rob Gray he looked he looked like college Rob Gray again he was you know pulling up for threes he was slashing to the basket he was finding his teammates at the right time just a reminder that he was a guy who could score in so many ways and also make his teammates so much better. So, you know, really good to see those guys, you know, over there doing awesome. And, Cause I mean, as much as the NBA is the be all end all, the NBA is the gold standard of professional basketball on this planet. You know, Europe is still pretty high level. And if you can make high five figures, low six figures to play basketball for a long time, that's not a bad living. Like even if Rob Gray's NBA opportunity doesn't come the way it, you know it's come for Armani Brooks and Nate Hinton, and others uh, Rob Gray is still among the very best to play basketball is still still you know living a pretty cool life and still you know doing something not very many guys can say you know that have played the sports that they've done
1: this past season for the women team, a uh, incredible season they were uh, just short yep. of making a tournament but just really a huge jump for coach Huey uh, after uh, a bad uh, 2019-20 season and really just making that big jump and finishing around the- in the American. What are your thoughts going on to next season? Because, man, uh, this was an incredible season, and I believe if they didn't lose that game against Cincinnati, they probably would have been the first four in.
0: Yeah, I mean, when you're the first team left out, it's hard not to look at those, you know, those kind of results and just think, man, that's how that's how close we are. And I, I have my opinions about U of H getting left out, and both UCF and USF, the two best teams in the league, getting pretty horribly under in their own right, but, you know, sticking with U of H, I thought it was a really good kind of proof of concept season. I mean, you mentioned the 2019, 2020 season wasn't good. The program definitely took a big step back and, you know, coming into last year you saw, okay, there's a lot of transfers coming in, you know, some interesting names on there, but you know, anytime you bring in a lot of new faces, it's, it's just, it's difficult to blend it in. And then you had, you know, COVID on top that it's just like, okay, did they have enough time together to, you know, make this into a cohesive team that can finally, you know, at least, and I think that was my hope for last season was, okay, you know, show significant improvement, show that the 2019, 2020 season was, you know, a blip rather than a trend. And they, and they did it, they did it emphatically. And I thought what was really impressive to me is the just the variety of ways they found to win. I, and I think, you know, in the past, Huey's, you know, last couple of you know pretty good teams were very much, you know, press, 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 tempo, 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 shoot as many threes as possible kind of teams. And, and, the Cougars will still do that. The Cougars will still, you know, kind of play that style, but you saw the Cougars, you know, win more low scoring games. You saw, you still saw the team have great offensive performances, but you know, I, I thought for me, the game that really convinced me that this team, this team was different. This was a team that was definitely heading the right direction. It was early the season against SFA, a real ugly game. They had to really squeeze it out to win that one. I think it was like a 55, 53 final or something like that, but they won a game you know, they won a low scoring game by playing tough defense and that was that wasn't really a, a way that we had seen this team win prior under Huey it, it showed that the team had some range the team had an ability to you know win games a variety of different ways and and just really impressive Britt Anya Jay was a really great find by the staff she redshirted at UCF didn't play it there at all sat out the year before and she looked like a revelation she looked like someone who by the end of her career could be you know a really good three-point shooter and a good defensive specialist but I think the player that both Dustin and I are most excited about is, is Layla Blair that she was, you know, a real good Houston recruit, finished her high school career at Waller. And then I think, you know, especially as the season went on, showed herself capable of taking on, you know, more and more. I think you saw maybe a little bit of deer in the headlights early for her, but you know, by the end of the season, I thought she looked like a sophomore or junior. I thought, you know, the trajectory that Layla Blair is on and you don't want to like jinx anything. You don't want to write, you know, anyone's career, as, you know, anything good or bad this early after one season, you know, what well, can happen in two or three years <laughs> as we've all found out, I guess in the last two or three years of, uh, of everything that's gone on in our lives, but she really looks like she could be the best player of the Huey era. And, and so, someone capable of, you know, giving that last kick of the door, that last push to, you know, take this team from being a, you know, respectable, just outside the NCAA tournament picture, kind of team to, you know, up there with the two Florida schools consistently contending for the NCAA tournament, kind of taking in the void of the better teams in this program or in this conference with this program. Now that UConn uh, is out of the picture, now there's kind of still somewhat of a void at the top. I just, yeah, I was really impressed with the variety of ways the team found a way to win. And I've been really impressed with uh, what Huey's done in the off season, uh, bringing in, the and her name escapes me at the moment, but uh, recent uh, Louisiana Miss basketball from LSU who uh had a monster game when they upset AM uh last season. Um, Tamara Nard from the JUCO rank, She's a good uh, she's a good big. I expect her to push uh, push for the starting spot at the five. And and Fatu Dion from uh, Purdue who was uh, one of the Big Ten's better rebounders. So obviously, it's a team prepared to win now, and you, you could see you know, the way the staff is recruiting. And I think it's also really cool. Just kind of as an aside here, the Cougs now have three, uh, three players from uh, DeSoto high school up in the Metroplex, one of the consistent girls basketball powerhouses. I think that's something Huey and his staff have done quite well is, you know, get, get well-regarded girls basketball players to consider the Cougs. And it's not, it's not all high school players. It's not all Juco's, but I think he does a really good job kind of blending the two. And, and I'm, I'm really excited. This is the most excited I've been about a Cougar basketball season since 10 or 11 years ago when the last team went to the tournament. So, yeah, excited excited to see what they do. Obviously, if you you listen to Coach Huey, if you talk to Coach Huey, one of the most energetic, like great representatives of the university. Like, you know, I, I want to see the Cougars win. I don't, you know, I try not to root for coaches in particular, but you listen to him for a minute and it's hard not to root for the guy. It's hard not to want him to be the one that kind of, kicks down the door and gets U of H back to the NCAA tournament on the women's side.
1: Yeah. We actually talked to coach Huey about uh at least a month or two before the season started, man, just a really cool laid back guy. It was, I think this was the funniest part of the podcast. We were actually wrapping up and we we're doing our outros and coach Huey just out of nowhere goes, go coogs And we tried to finish out the outro again. And he says, go coogs again. And it, it was just awesome. Yep. Good guy. Also on the women's season, uh, I think what also hurt them in the end was the, the planter injury for uh, Brittany Onyehe, which was a big loss yep. going into the conference tournament.
0: Yeah, it, just, it was really just that and the Cincinnati loss. I think to some degree, you did see the team kind of get a uh, get away with some not the best efforts, I want to say. like. About a week before then, they gone to uh, Wichita, and Wichita was just not any good on the women's side this year. And great, strong fourth quarter comeback to win it, but really looked, for all intents and purposes, like U of H had lost a rogue game they couldn't take. And I think you saw that kind of come back and hurt them um, in the Cincinnati game and, and in the uh, the conference tournament when they bowed out to UCF there. And I think that's the big thing they got to figure out. They, they played UCF three times really you look at every other conference opponent, you know, obviously lost the game to Cincy. That's not great, but you did beat them back at their place. Really no team in the conference had U of H's number like the Knights did. And just, you saw U of H really struggle with, uh, with UCF zone. What they do is pretty unique defensively. And I think that's kind of the test next year UCF returns a lot of their team. You know, can the Cougars get enough about them offensively? Can that can diamond Gladney Layla bear, Layla Blair, Brittany Jay, can they overcome, you know, one of the tougher, more unique defensive matchups that they get? If they can do it at least once, I think this is a tournament team, but that's, that's I think, your big test. That's the conference game I think you have circled in the calendar next year.
1: And coming right up, we're going to talk about football and after their struggled season, and also our way too early predictions for the men's basketball program and women's going into next season.
3: Looking for a better way to rep H-Town? Be sure to check out ApolloHOU.com for Astros and Rockets
0: apparel you can't find anywhere else. Use promo code LAUNCH for 10% off at checkout. ApolloHou, All Houston. All original.
1: And continue on Pod Slamma Jamma presented by Apollo Media. If you enjoy the show, do us a favor and drop a v- review or leave us some stars. As we're back here with the Scott and Holman podcast. So Sam, uh, obviously a tough season for football last year uh, as they finished three and five and really just kind of hard to judge because they've had so many uh, cancellations and really the only sample size we can judge is that six game stretch where they went three and three, had some good games against Tulane, first half against BYU, good one against Navy, but really struggled against uh, Cincinnati and uh, UCF.
0: Yeah, the the two the two data points to me because I don't take a whole lot from after the team came back from there like whatever it was month long COVID pause. I like you. I kind of look at the three and three, and you know on the one hand you have the data point of the Tulane game. And, you know Tulane wasn't Alabama or Clemson last year, but Tulane was a good solid team, and the forty five to thirty one final there doesn't really it doesn't really uh, tell you how badly U of H outplayed Tulane. I think. It was a record low rushing yards in the last, like, six, seven years for them. You saw a defense that looked like it had taken a big step forward. You saw an offense that was a little consistent, but at times could be really explosive in the passing game. And, you know, it that could have its moments. But the other data point for that is the UCF game. Because, you know, as bad as the Cincinnati game was, Cincinnati was a really, really good team last year. Cincinnati was a juggernaut. I think even if we had played a perfect game, up in Cincy, we might be talking about a 21-point loss instead of whatever it it would be. UCF was a good team last year, but at home, I think my expectation certainly going into that game was, okay, U of H might not win this game, but U of H is at least going to be competitive and wasn't close to it. UCF just made U of H look really pedestrian offensively. Defensively, I think, UH suffered more from the fact that we just couldn't do anything offensively, but you kind of saw the dam break in that one. And you saw you saw the flaws in that U of H defense if you didn't have everyone healthy, which was kind of what we knew going in, like it could be a good defense, but you needed every single key guy for every single key game. So you know, I think you can't just you can't judge the season entirely as a failure because of how weird it was. You know, everyone was playing with a COVID season, but Not everyone opened their season in October. Not everyone had five cancellations in September. You know, there was a lot of unusual things that went around that season. But I I do think it leads to the coming year that it is a put-up-or-shut-up past season. It is a show-proof-of-concept kind of season because you didn't really see anything in the COVID season to make you feel wildly optimistic other than, you know, you had – You had certain individuals, you know, Tank Dell in his first division one season, you know, looked promising. The defense, I don't think it's enough credit. That wasn't a great defense last year, but considering how awful we were in 2019, I think 2020 was a big positive step forward. And now you bring a lot of those guys back. But I think it was the kind of season that basically put everybody, even people who were more on the optimistic side, kind of in a, okay, we need to wait and see what the staff, you know, really can do in year three. You know, I, I think certainly the honey, it was kind of a, uh, honeymoon ender of a season, but I think you can't fairly talk about that season and not mention that, you know, the cancellations, just never being able to get into any kind of rhythm in terms of having, you know, week on week on week games. You know, you had that stretch at the beginning of the season, then you had the long break and then you had the Memphis game. Then you had the long break for the bowl game. I mean, I kind of wish U of H had just not played the Hawaii bowl. I don't, Think that really did anything for anyone, or didn't play Hawaii at whatever uh, the the New Mexico Bowl in Frisco. I f- actually forgot what bowl we were in this year because, quite frankly, it just wasn't it wasn't a game I will ever uh, want to remember. But you know, a disappointing season in some respects, but I think not a season that you can't um, mention mention the unusual aspects of it without talking about and being I think
2: fair to everyone involved. That's fair. Final question before we let you go. Um, way too early prediction for the men's basketball team next season.
0: When in, we're going to win the AAC regular season, I think. Where it's not going to have uh, some weird – like, I, I still don't – I know it was in the rules. I'll give Wichita the regular season title, but it is still wild to me that Wichita won the title despite playing whatever. Cougars win the regular season. I think second weekend of March Madness. I don't know if I'm ready to pick the Final Four because Final Fours are really tough to get to. But I think this is a Sweet 16 team. I think, I think this is a three or a four seed in the NCAA tournament. I don't know if it's a two seed, but I think come March, this team's going to be playing like a two seed. You're going to have guys like Moore, Edwards, and Carlton, you know, along with uh, I think Tremont Mark taking a much bigger role than he has before. I think, I think Tremont Mark. Anyone who didn't know about Tremont Mark outside of U of H uh, in this conference is going to become very familiar with him by the end. I really do think come this time next year, we're going to be sweating out whether Tremont Mark decides to stay at Collegiate or not. And that's going to be a good problem to have because it means Tremont Mark had a conference player of the year kind of season. And that's, that's something Samson's been pretty consistent about that Tremont Mark, you're, you're going to see a different Tremont Mark at some point he's, this is a guy who's been making, you know, Giroux and Grimes and other guys look silly at times in practice and was one of our best recruits, you know, in modern history. I think you're going to see the Tremont mark you saw in flashes last year for a lot more of the 40 minutes of a game this year. That's, that's my, my big bull prediction. Tremont mark conference player of the year. Cougars regular season champs and we'll say three seed come uh, next March.
1: And Sam, I know you got to go soon, but once again, man, thank you for coming on to the show. It's been great.
0: Thanks for having me guys. I really appreciate it. I always
1: love talking Cougar sports and make sure to follow Sam and Dustin at SH podcast on Twitter and make sure to listen to the Scott and Holman podcast, great podcast. And they put out great articles, Sam and uh, Dustin, I hope to have you all again. And maybe one of these days we can join y'all show.
0: Absolutely. Thanks, Justin, Greg. Anytime, man.
1: No problem. Thanks, guys. And that's going to, to do it for today's episode. So if you haven't already done so, please be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever
2: you listen to your podcast. And be sure to follow at Apollo HOU for blogs, merch, video, podcasts, and more original Houston sports content not found anywhere else.
1: And as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back for our next episode of Pod Slamma Jamma, covering your University of Houston Cougars.